I'm Pee-wee's and I'm Bowie's I was stalking hoes in the center of town. Check it out, right here. This is Show World Center. I had a show in town. Welcome to Tales of Times Square, the tapes. I'm Josh Allen Friedman. that provided social services to prostitutes in Times Square. The second half is about a police sergeant at the Port Authority bus terminal who dealt with runaways. Street prostitution is a dangerous occupation, a terrible job. In olden times, the church used to refer to prostitutes as fallen women. In 1975, a progressive Greenwich Village church founded a service called the Prostitution Project. The aim was to decriminalize prostitution, to change callous laws that kept hookers in a hopeless cycle of arrests that often doomed them for the rest of their lives. The project was founded by a missionary named Arlene Carmen and Pastor Howard Moody of Judson Memorial Church. Arlene bought a bus in 1980, the same style bus that shuttles passengers to hotels at airports with a reconfigured interior. This mobile van cruised the avenues at night, providing medical, legal, and social services to street prostitutes. And hookers could catch a break on the van, find safety, without any proselytizing or religious come on. They could take a breather from the street, unload to each other, and to Arlene, who ran the bus. And a deacon from the church drove this van, keeping separate from the whole private sanctuary in the back. Though Arlene spent 27 years as administrator for Judson Memorial Church, she was Jewish. In her early 40s, she was somewhat aloof, and they didn't permit men on this bus, but I rode the van with her for an hour or two through Times Square one evening in 1984. She spoke in a barely audible monotone, and this tape was not meant to be aired, so bear with us. Marry them and bury them, did you say? Yeah. Prostitutes? Yeah. It's a church. What denomination? It's both American Baptist and United Church of Christ. Um, American Baptist and United, and United Church of Christ. Both When you say bury them, how many girls have you seen die in the line of... More than you can. We baptize their babies, marry them, bury them, help them get welfare. Arlene was almost about as humorless as one would expect. She said regarding women she'd known who were murdered, more than I can count. I couldn't get a ballpark number out of her, but uh, she arranged for a dozen memorial services. To me, if one dies, that's a lot. The murders that have occurred, have they been all spread through the city, you're saying, or mostly in Times Square? Throughout the city. Throughout Manhattan. What are the other areas that you work on Madison Avenue? 
Madison, Lexington, Delancey Street, Park, 11th Avenue. It's dangerous. Very it's very dangerous. I think it's always risky, and I think one always needs to be on one's guard because tricks are very dangerous people. What is the most dangerous area that you work? I'm not sure. I vary in what, I, what my opinion is on that, and I guess it changes. Right now, I probably would feel that 11th Avenue is the most dangerous part of the city to work in. And we have a population of women who are criminalized by the society. Who are criminalized by society, and they're, therefore they're easy targets for crazy guys because nobody really gives a damn about what happens to them. And so if a woman gets murdered as a prostitute, nobody's going to waste very much time. You can tell by the newspapers, you don't read about those things in the papers. By the 1980s, there were just as many hookers on the streets of New York, but they had spread to other parts of the city, no longer concentrated only on 8th Avenue and Times Square, like they were in the 1970s. There was a visual change on the streets, less emphasis on hot pants and go-go boots and blonde dime store wigs. Neither were there any more pimp-mobiles and superflies like in the 1970s. Now pimps drove Hondas. They had to lay low so as not to attract police attention. Well, I think they're less dangerous. They're less dangerous than the Johns. Women. The Johns are the danger. Have you dealt personally with pimps? Oh, yeah. Have you liked any of them or thought that any of them were helpful to the girls rather than having to go by themselves? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. It's true. There are some really nice pimps. Um. Who are good to their women and take good care of them, and who are just as nice as anyone else might be. She's saying pimps are less dangerous. The Johns are the danger. There are some really nice pimps who are good to their women and take good care of them. That's some pretty progressive church speak. The problem is labeling them pimps. The label's the problem. What? The label is the, the problem. The name pimp. Whenever you label any group in society, it's hard to, to think of those people as individuals, and it suffers just as prostitutes suffer from the label that defines them, which masks their individuality. The NYPD Public Morals Division discontinued the pimp squad in 1984. Too many girls were in awe of their pimps, so they wouldn't press charges. And Carmen feels that pimps get a bad rap. Individuals, the poor misunderstood pimp, Iceberg Slim said every pimp he knew that popped out of his mama's ass on the south side of Chicago was dumped in a garbage can by his mother on the day he was born. Those women may be, may be prostitutes. We don't define other, other jobs. We don't all get defined by our work. There's no reason why they, those people should be defined by their work, especially when it carries with it a stigma. In other words, if a girl is a prostitute at night, rather than dismiss her entire entities just being a hooker. Right, she may be working her way through college, she may have kids, she may have 50 other things going on. That's right. But as far as we're concerned, all she is is a prostitute. As Arlene said, defining someone as solely a prostitute is an unfair label. Junkies are their own category, and full-time hookers are contemptuous of them. She went on to say that one is primarily a junkie and one is primarily a prostitute. Hookers feel the junkies are wasting their money. They're slaves to heroin. But a prostitute chooses to give all her money to her man, who then takes care of her financial needs. It's a choice, because not all girls go with a pimp. 
Hookers put up pictures of their babies on a bulletin board in the van. They can all look at each other's kids. A lot of the fathers are their pimps. There are a lot of baby pictures in the van. Uh-huh. It was their idea to put up the board. We didn't have wow. it up there. That was the only thing they ever asked us to do. They'd like us to put it in the bathroom, but we resist that. But the baby bulletin board was theirs. They wanted a place because they can't carry anything with them because they never know if they're going to go to jail. Yeah. Most of those women are mothers. There are very few that aren't. There are, there are in this city a bunch of, of babysitters who care for the children of prostitutes 24 hours a day in their own apartments. And a lot of kids are there. The mothers pay $100, $150 a week for that care. Is this a special or an organized service just for prostitutes? Yeah, it's hardly organized. It's a very informal network. But it's a babysitters who are the babysitters for the kids of prostitutes. Uh -huh. Because the women don't know if they're going to go to jail, so they can't keep their kids with them. The person we call the pimp is the father of, those, of their child. So they planned that pregnancy. It's not an accident. And chose to have a child, wanted to have a child. If they, have, if they become pregnant by a trick, then they have an abortion. And they're never really charming about it, or they're always showing off their children. And as they get new pictures, they go on top of the old ones. And you can't have your kid with you, and you're a criminal, and you're labeled, and you go to jail. You think about trying to break away from that. Think about the time coming. Well, you go insane. Well, you get used to it. Depends with the territory. We're cruising down 8th Avenue along the curb. You can hear traffic passing by. A sign on the door of the van says, If you're running, run right by. If you're walking, walk right in. The van could not open its door to hookers running from the paddy wagon or they'd be aiding and abetting prostitution. But police rarely focused any time in solving a prostitute's murder. It was the lowest priority. Street hookers were constantly on the move, thrown out of hotels when arrested, and they couldn't keep their kids with them in the hotels. They'd lose all their clothes and belongings in the hotel when they were arrested and evicted. They couldn't have a bank account, which you need to get an apartment, which you need to have a straight job, which you need to get a W-2 form, and on and on. There was no stability. But I think the fact that they're consumed with that life has more to do with the law than it does with their desire to be consumed. I think the law makes it very difficult for them to lead anything approaching a normal or stable life because they're always in fear of going to jail or always going to jail or always needing to pay fines or always spending three days at Rikers or ten days at Rikers. If prostitution had been decriminalized in New York, the girls could have been licensed and protected, preventing untold tragedies. But Arlene Carmen worked with girls who chose the street, the great outdoors, over massage parlors, girls who valued the freedom to take or reject customers. A precious freedom, Arlene called it. In a parlor, you're protected, but you have to take whoever or whatever walks in. If it were legalized, it wouldn't necessarily keep them off the street, but they could turn to the police for help and safety, as well as keep their kids and be mothers, and allow them to have bank accounts and apartments and save for a future. They all harbor a fantasy about the future, which never pans out. Arlene is adamant about calling them women, not girls. It's a very short profession. They're finished in their late 20s. But society has made a criminal out of the prostitute. Her opportunities are restricted in the straight world. 
She goes into credit card theft, drug dealing, or welfare. The laws must be changed. Criminalized her. That's number one. Number two is the fact that society spends so goddamn much money on the enforcement of the law. Police power and, and the expenses of enforcing that law. It's insane that they would give over that much in the way of resources to chasing women on the streets. Seems to me it's bizarre. You say it's insane that they would spend that much time making arrests and sure. chasing girls? Or chasing girls. I mean, that must be so demoralizing for the cops. I can't it's imagine. It's easy for them, though. It's a very easy but arrest. I bet you it's, it's demoralizing. I bet you it's the worst thing, the worst detail you can put a cop on is chasing girls. Is that what determines them leaving the business, do you think? Age. It's always age. It's really they just don't look good enough. Like athletes, they're, well, they're tired. An athlete has a short lifespan. Mm -hmm. Well, a woman is pretty much in the same business. She's using her body, and her body gets hurt. And she's tired of going to jail. And she's tired of her life. Arlene Carmen spent her life ministering to prostitutes, AIDS victims, then refugees, and animals. She was mistakenly arrested in a sweep of Times Square hookers, loitering for the purpose of prostitution, and spent 22 hours in lockup before they figured out she was a church missionary. She won an $8,500 settlement. Judson Memorial Church is a landmark building near Washington Square Park. It was a church for Greenwich Village poets, ballet dancers, actors, and playwrights with theater spaces. I don't know if there are any such artists left in Greenwich Village today. They've been priced out. In the 1950s, Judson had the first drug treatment clinic in Greenwich Village. Pastor Howard Moody, along with Carmen, lobbied for abortion rights, which they saw legalized in 1973, and they supported the Black Power Movement. They were social justice warriors. Arlene Carmen died at the age of 58 in 1994. Prostitution is still illegal in New York today. Authority is a bi-state agency run privately like a business and a profit-making business. They're in charge of all the airports and tunnels and bridges connecting New York and New Jersey, as well as the World Trade Center. In 1984, there were 1,100 Port Authority police, about 110 of them stationed at the bus terminal. They are separate from the NYPD. The cops who work at the Port Authority bus terminal in Times Square wanted to be there. It was more exciting than the boring airports and tunnels. About a quarter million travelers a day came through the bus terminal. Eighty percent of the crime involved stolen baggage, and the cops dealt with almost 3,000 incoherent homeless people each year. 
The bus terminal in Times Square was the legendary gateway for most of the prostitutes and runaways who came to New York in search of money and glory. At one time, the pimps were lined up outside in their Cadillacs like official greeters to the land of Oz. As a coda to Judson Church and Arlene Carmen, I wanted to show how cops felt about pimps. Sergeant Bernard Pajoli ran youth services at Port Authority for runaways and throwaways. We're in the Port Authority Bus Terminal's police headquarters in 1984. I came on a job in 1970. I came to the, pool, to the bus terminal in 1971. I played detective for a while and I was gone and I came back and I got promoted and I was gone for another 10 months and I came back and I played detective sergeant for a while and I came back. Like, you know, the place has a mystique. Yeah. Well, I like, I like it here. It's busy. How are you? Um, how are you officially involved in what they call cleaning up Times Square? Uh, what, is, what are you doing here? Well, we're part of the 42nd Street Coalition. See, years ago, the Port Authority had a almost like an isolationist attitude. You know, it was like something goes on across the street, unless it's immediate life and death, not even property damage, it was like, stay away from it, you know, but now they've taken the attitude that they're part of the community and they have to interact with the community. That's, when I first came here, you couldn't even walk on it there. Nothing but cross and he-she's and animals, I mean, it, it was all derelicts and it was a disaster. Do a lot of the size parlors around there then? Oh, yeah. On 9th Avenue, too? Yeah. Ninth I know 8th Avenue had them up. 9th Avenue, actually, between 42nd, uh, 42nd Street, between 9th and Dyer, was all massage parlors and uh, burlesque shows. Actually, you know, little peep shows, really. It was just something that there was so much of and so concentrated, and nobody cared. I mean, like I said, the Port Authority at the time had an isolationist attitude. And if you arrested a, a price, Perfect example. I arrested a person in 1971. I was doing traffic duty, and she's hauling, hailing car. Uh, he, as a matter of fact, was stopping cars. I, I locked the, the gentleman up. And when I arrested, you know, the, the sergeant at the time, she says, "What are you doing? That's not our problem. That's a New York City problem." Yet you're standing there in uniform. As the years progressed, more pre-op transsexuals began to appear across Eighth Avenue. Yeah, it was massive. It was amazing how many were out there. It was like, you know, you couldn't, couldn't believe there were that many fags in the world. What's the rest of that? Oh, maybe 40 or 50 any time. Morning, noon, and night. When somebody is out there pretending to be something they're not right from the start, and all of these gentlemen were out there pretending to be ladies, and all, they were living in the, uh, the porn parlors and the junky hotels. A lot of the hotels, they've closed down. See, we've gone... Do you tell the difference on site between a man and a woman? Sometimes. Are there times when you've been completely faked out? Uh, yeah. Are there any signs that you look for when you're talking to one or something? What are the telltale signs? Do you, you look for an Adam's apple. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you look for. That's the first thing you look for? Yeah. Well, actually, a lot of them were so big that you couldn't help it. You know? Yeah. You're talking to a girl that's six foot eight. You know, you walk up, hi, how are you? Know, give me a break. The bus terminal is a block and a half square. Until recently, Port Authority cops concentrated on the terminal itself and usually left the rest of Times Square's troubles to the NYPD. But Sergeant Pajoli made porn arrests on the street anyway. I mean, all kinds of massage parlors. 
Did you have any experiences in shutting any of them down, or was yeah. still out of your really? We shut down the ones on Forty uh, Second uh, Street between ninth and tenth. Do you remember any of the names of those, or a particular instance that we went in? I remember the day we closed it down. The manager of the bus came home. What happened was that's part of the uh, redevelopment. The Port Authority was involved in. And they sent the manager of the bus terminal over to tell these people that they were not closed. And it was funny because he walked over there and now I'm with the Port Authority and here's a summons, we're closing this down, we're now on it. And I says, either get out of here, we're going to kill you. He said what? Either get out of here, we're going to kill you. I mean, you know, these people, give them a summons, they didn't know anything, they weren't to be honest, they were simply out. Well, that's the way they talked to the manager. The manager of the building went over there trying to play like a businessman, you know. Here's your subpoena, you have to close down, blah, blah, blah. And these guys told me they were going to kill him. So now he got a little panicked, he came over. I, was, I would say that was the first time we ever really enforced went over and did something. It was like, okay, you're closed, get out. And we went over and they, they brought, once they saw the uniforms, then they realized that they had to leave. And once they left, then the manager brought in the, uh, the maintenance guys and they just boarded it right up. He remembers closing Pleasure Studios. The pleasures included getting mugged, getting shot, getting stabbed. We used to go across the street. There was a place called uh, Pleasure Studios. I would say on the average, two, three times a week we'd go up there. Did somebody get ripped off, somebody get shot, somebody get stabbed. There'd be fights, people would come out the windows. Uh, well, it didn't sound like a very uh, well-established Everybody was making money. Except for the poor schmuck that used to go in here and lose The myth of the Minnesota Strip on 8th Avenue was exactly that, a myth. The idea was that 400 young blonde girls from Minneapolis were lured each year by black pimps to hook in Times Square. The two Minneapolis detectives who conjured up this scam in 1977 returned to Minnesota after they couldn't find one girl from their hometown. They were discredited. It was a lie. But first, it became a 1980 made-for-TV movie called Off the Minnesota Strip, starring Hal Holbrook. David Chase won a writing Emmy. There were more than several sensational books about the subject. The Minnesota Strip, you know, to myth. Uh, how do you, what, what, what's your uh, well, take on, on that? We, we dealt with 2,800 kids last year, okay? Out of that 2,800 kids, 1,100 were runaways. Out of 1,100, 69% were from the five boroughs. So you're talking about the majority of the kids being from right in this area itself. And out of that 69%, like 70% were from Brooklyn. So you're talking about a large portion of these kids that were right from here. It's not that it doesn't happen where a kid comes in from Minnesota and goes out on the street. But it's, it's more of a fictionalized type affair than it is an actual affair. You got more of a chance of getting a kid from Brooklyn yeah. than you do from Minnesota. So that was just, I, that was basically a kid like, you know, uh, yeah. newspaper story, it's just uh, made up. Sure. Well, it's like all the kids allegedly that are coming here to be stars, you know, to go into Broadway. I think I've met two kids that actually came here that really thought they were going to do something. And one of them was a kid we met yesterday that they took out to the airport today that came and said, I don't want to be. You know, she walked outside the building and said, no, this is not what I expected. This is not what I want, and I'm going home. I told Sergeant Pajoli about Arlene Carmen and the hooker bus and how she felt the bad pimp 
is a mistaken cliche. It's a, it's a myth, according to her, uh, about pimps beating their women, and uh, she, she maintains that they're good force compared. It's not, it's not a myth, okay? When these girls don't do what the pimp tells them, the pimp beats them. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. These people feel that they have their own lifestyle and that this is what they're destined to do and you've got to beat them in the I mean, this is their philosophy. The classic pimp with the big yellow Cadillac and the white wool ties and they're few and far between. What you do have out there is a lot of boyfriend type pimps. And man, you're my woman so you're going to sell your ass for me. Now, that's more what you have out there than the old pimp affair. But there's still a, a myth or a cliche about Port Authority. You know, a young girl comes in here, gets off the bus, and is greeted by a bunch of guys outside who are, uh, you know, swing talker. That's, that's a, a well, cliche. That's what, why, what's the reality of that? What that's why our major concern is to get these kids before they get outside. So but really, that's no myth. They're, they're out there. Now, they may not, no, they're not standing. You see, you got to understand, when a kid leaves here, when they get out onto the street, they become hungry, they become confused. They don't have, the pimps don't have to go looking for them and finding them. Other girls tell them. They go finding, maybe not even a pimp, just another girl, and a girl tells them how to work the street, and then they move in together, you know. There are pimps out there that do nothing but take the money. First of all, they don't come in the bus terminal. If they do, it's not really too often because the cops that are here are assigned here. The cops that are in here, the one thing most cops hate are pimps, especially pimps that prey on kids. You know, because I'd say out of all the cops that are in here, maybe four or five don't have children. You know, so you're always looking at kids as if they were your own. And you see a guy approaching the kid, and you're going to hassle him. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that dude is going to get hassled. And he's going to get bounced. And they know it. But why come in here when there's so many kids out there? You got under 21 right down the block that houses 250 kids a night, on any given night. These kids walk in and out of that place. Why should a pimp come in here and risk getting captured? Or if their car's outside, then you give the car a tag, and you got the car towed, and now you take him and you know you just create such aggravation for this guy that they don't want to be here even if a girl decides she wants to press we'll definitely arrest the guy you know there's no way fans or butts but chances are it's not going anywhere now, this court system is so screwed up now especially if especially if the ch the kid is in a, a first time runaway that just came out of Catholic school that's never done anything wrong in their lives and they, you know, planned on bringing the nun up until she left, you know. If that ain't the case, the court system is going to say, well, the kid probably did it on her own anyway. And, you know, we'll arrest the guy. Legalize the arrest. But, you know, if we don't do that, then they move in. By 1984, New York City had pushed back the commercial sex biz considerably on their way to redeveloping Times Square. 10th Precinct runs sweeps. Public morals run sweeps and the Port Authority runs sweeps. This is only a block and a half square, and we got a hundred cops assigned to it. Yeah. You know, and that's not counting on detectives. Plus, we got plain clothes, man. You know. And as I said, everybody that's here wants to be here. Your detectives have authority. Can they arrest people outside of Port Authority areas? Well, yeah, we're state police throughout all of New York and all of New Jersey. More, more than uh, the NYPD. Yeah, we're state, both states. Uh huh. 
New York and New Jersey. Throughout the early 1980s, there was still a considerable amount of runaways and throwaways on the streets of Times Square. It all depends how long you've been on the street. And there's, you got to understand, there's an entire subculture out there. You don't go out there cold and go from uh, a sweet little kid to this big bad pimp. I mean, you know, everybody tells their kids, you don't talk to strangers and you you watch out for pimps, and if a guy's got a flashy car, or if a guy's got, you know, that's something that everybody drills into their kids. And when they come out here, they're aware of that. But now you start talking to the other kids that are around on the street, that have been on the street for all this time. And these kids start telling you, well, you know, what's the difference? So you, you do this guy, you know, so what? You, know, you never did it before. Now, some of these kids are embarrassed to say they never did it before, you know, because now they got to show that they're street smart. And it isn't, you know, it's just a natural progression. Everybody that they see is doing it, right? What's the difference? This one's doing uh, John, Frank, Jim, and Jack, so why not do, you know, Freddie too? Freddie's going to give you a 10 spot. The squeegee bandits, winos, derelicts, and street kids who soaked up windshields of cars at traffic lights, demanding a tip to wipe it clean. They were all the rage in the 1980s. Everybody complains. 42nd Street Civic Association complains. And yet, Earl Caldwell did a big article on the Port Authority Police, how bad we were because we were harassing these poor kids and arresting them and they had a right to make a living just like everybody else. Meanwhile, the day that the one kid got arrested, the day before, two people had their chains ripped off. One guy, one woman ended up with a black eye. You know, by definition, you can take them for robbery because it's by fear. Court system don't want anybody. Even for a quarter, that's still robbery. Oh yeah, they they're causing you to give up a quarter by fear. I mean, they're intimidating you to give up that money. Yeah. You know, what do you? If somebody held a gun on you, what's he doing? He's intimidating you to give up your money. You know, these kids are intimidating you with that squeegee. A lot of people feel, especially you know, I got a problem because I keep my car. I'm a lunatic with my car, <coughs> and I won't drive in the city because I don't want anybody touching my car. You know, I would get very upset if these kids did. I saw them the other day take their thing and wipe the entire side of uh, Mercedes. Hey, Jimmy, you got TPU? Yeah, I'm four Would you be in favor of going back to the nightstick? Is a you know no, no, that I wouldn't. Because the you know I can remember getting hit myself with a nightstick where I didn't deserve it. Sergeant Pajoli sees progress in Times Square by the very idea that he could now get an ice cream cone on the street. The year before last, they had brought in a diner. As a matter of fact, it's not a village now, for that ice cream. And here I was actually sitting out on 9th Avenue and 39th Street having an ice cream. And at the time I was with a cop, and at the time I was with a cop, and I said, can you imagine, this is when we first got here, somebody would have told us we'd be eating ice cream on 9th Avenue? Uh, Want a cup of coffee? Uh, yeah, sure. Sergeant Bernard Pajoli, who served in the Navy during Vietnam, died in 2010 at the age of 61. This is Josh Allen Friedman for Tales of Times Square, The Tapes. Visit our website at blackcracker.fm.
for photos and extras. And for information on what will become our second season of Black Cracker Presents, we'll see you next week on Old Broadway. Mm -hmm.